I'm going to learn in time to just always check the control booth to see if my mic's on. <laughs> so, all right, no hands back there today. So, um, so that'll be one of my new traditions. I was wondering, do you have particular traditions about gift giving? Um, you know, uh, there was a there was a kid down the block from me, one of my friends, and he got to have his Christmas uh, presents early because his family opened their presents on Christmas Eve. And I thought that that was really terrible because we had to wait all the way until the next morning uh, for our Christmas presents. So, so I don't know. Are are there any other uh, uh, Christmas Eve people here? Uh, maybe your family do, does Christmas. All right. So beforehand. So at least uh, it's not unheard of. Okay. And Christmas Day. Um, how about how about the way you uh, open your presents? In my, in my family, when Christmas Day came, maybe because we were so, you know, had some, such pent up energy, we would like all rip into our presents all at once. So all four boys are, you know, tearing open the presents and, and depending on what it was, we might actually immediately run around and play with it for 10 minutes or we might, you know, say, that's great and then move on to the next one and rip them all open. So basically all present ra- unwrapping took place about, um, you know, Three minutes, you know, by, by the clock, depending on depending on what the gifts were. Um, but when I got married, I learned that Margot's family had a whole different strategy. What they would do is they would go round robin, one at a time, and they would all open their present, and then they would all kind of comment on what a wonderful present that was. And as a result, sometimes you know it would be two or three in the afternoon before the presents were all on. You know, it's like we'd have to take a break in the middle of present unwrapping because it's time for lunch or something like that, or the turkey's got to go in, or or whatever the the particular thing was. And honestly, it's probably a better better approach because that way the the joy of unwrapping the present is shared by everybody. But uh, you know, I was channeling the first couple of years. I was channeling that that you know six year old who was like, I cannot believe how long this takes. So. So um, I don't know if you have any particular traditions about unwrapping presents or anything, but but um, uh, we have been uh, in this conversation talking about the presents we get from God. We believe as, as as followers of Jesus that Jesus has, as I mentioned to the children, Jesus has given us the uh, the ability to become children of God. That we we now have uh, authorization to be children of God, and we believe that God gives good gifts to His children. So we began. Um, a couple of weeks ago, talking about uh, the gift of hope, that hope is a good thing, that, that you know, talk to your doctor. It's good to have hope. You have better health outcomes. Um, you have better athletic performance if you are a hopeful person. And Christians have the most hope of all, or the best hope of all, because we believe that when Christ returns, the entire world will be set right. Everything that's broken in this world will be will be made new again. And and everything that's wrong with people will also be made new. So we have a great hope. And so that hope enables us to to get through times when we're going, why does it have to be like this? And the answer is I don't know why it has to be this way right now, but I have hope that when Jesus returns, it will all be made better. So hope is the remedy for despair. One of the other gifts we talked about last week is we talked about faith because hope is out there. Hope is somewhere off. You know, we don't know in God's timing. Hope will come, right? But in the meantime, we have faith that connects us to that hope. And uh, because because that, that hope um, could just kind of dissipate and go away, but we have faith that keeps that hope alive. And because we have faith, we're able to act in confidence that, yes, in God's time, these things will happen, and so we can act now in, in, in faith, and that gives us joy. We're not just paralyzed, and we don't just kind of say, well, what's the point? Um, you know, why does anything matter? We're actually able to act, and that action gives us joy. So those are the gifts we talked about before. 
And today, we're going to talk about um, some other gifts. We're going to talk about grace and truth. And grace and truth are, you know, kind of church words. I mean, we, we, we hear them both out in the world, but, but I want to look at kind of where, where the real focus on, um, grace and truth, uh, the focus is, um, in, in the, um, the, the New Testament, because they, the, this, this is really a, a key theme of John's as he writes his biography of Jesus. He begins with this, this different way of looking at Christmas, uh, you know, what, what Christmas was. Uh, for us, we've had 2,000 years to get used to the idea of the incarnation, God coming down to be a human. But we, you know, we've had time to prepare for that. But John is, is dealing with a, a, an audience in that first century, uh, a place where he was, probably in, in, um, Ephesus is what scholars tell us. But wherever he was, he had, he had a Greek and Jewish, um, uh, members of his audience, and so he's trying to engage with them and tell them this this wild idea of God coming down to be human. And so he begins with this this uh, this biography with these connection points to that culture. He begins by talking about things that both Jews and the broader Greek culture would have understood. So, so um, he starts out this way. He says, um, "This is verse one." He says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." So, <laughs> what on earth is he talking about? Well, again, this has connection points to a congregation that needs it the way that we don't because we have the idea in our culture. You know, you can go to the grocery store and hear about God coming down to earth, but um, uh, maybe not so much anymore. But but it's in our repertory of of the, the cultural equipment that we come with is this idea of God coming down. That was a novel idea to both Jews and Greeks. So he begins by talking about um, in the beginning. That's that's a that's a connection point to his Jewish audience. They would have recognized that it's literally the first words of the Hebrew scriptures. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. So they would have gone, okay. So now I know you're kind of I, I know where you're headed. You're talking about God and the way God has has interacted with creation from all eternity. So the Jews are now uh, on board, or they they at least they they have a way of connecting with what he's about to say. But what about the Greeks? Well, for the Greeks, he talks about the word. And he doesn't mean, you know, uh, a couple of letters on a page. He means, he means the word, the, the message, the content. He's talking about the, the idea. He says, he says, the, the, the word on the street. The, you, you, you go up to somebody and you say, what's the good word? Um, could you put in a good word for me? It's not a particular word. It's, it's say something on my behalf. So, you know, communicate what an awesome person I am. That's, that's the reason we talk about the word that way. And he says, he says that there is, there is, uh, um, sense. There is, there is, um, rationality. There's reason in the world. That, and this was a, this was a debate that, that people in the, the first century would have had. There were different schools of thought. Some of them just said there is no point. That the, the world just is. And that's all that you can say about it. There's no, there's no reason. There's no purpose. And you know, there's echoes of that debate today. People will say, you know, you probably have friends or family members who would say, yeah, you know, uh, life's a beach and then you die, right, or something like that. They, they have, they say there is no particular purpose to the world. John is saying, I'm on the side of the people who think that there is a purpose. There, there is a message. There's an idea behind everything. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. So he 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 teases out some distinction here that that I'm going to talk about God, um, 
but I'm going to distinguish uh, God's um, uh, rationality and purpose from kind of the the, the power and, and strength of God. So he's saying that there's some some distinction there, and he says, that, but but they're but they're also right there together. The Word was with God in the beginning. So so they're together and they're different. And and you know theologians have wrestled with that for a long time, but um, but. That's, that's enough for us to kind of understand his beginning. And he says, everything came into being through the word, and without the word, nothing came into being. And again, this is a connection point for his audience, but what he's saying is, is that the, the world makes sense because it was made by a God who makes sense. The world has a reason and a purpose. There's a plan behind the world. And he's saying that because so often we say, well, I'm not so sure about that. You know, I look at the world and I just say, you know, this doesn't make any sense or what how could this possibly make sense that you know there's tornadoes in Kentucky or something like that how could the world be filled with sorrow and pain if there's uh if there's any purpose behind it is it not just that we're all kind of uh uh tossed on on the the sea of chance like corks in a in a in a river or something like that and he's saying no that everything came into the being through the word and the word without the word nothing came into being that despite everything you may think or all the reasons the world gives you to think otherwise the world makes sense because it was made by the word this this rational idea the the god who who is purposeful and he says what came into being through the word was life not just not just life, he says, but the life was the light for all people. So, so not just existing, not just, you know, being born, growing old and dying, but, but having life, having, having a life that reflects this, this, uh, this light. He says the, the, the word that, that that is actually in us and works in us. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. That, that, that the, the, the word is active in the world. That, that it is active in people. And even though there's all kinds of problems in the world, there's all kinds of troubles in the world, it is actually still shining here in the darkness. He says, the darkness does not extinguish the light. And we may say, well, it may not be distinguished, but it's pretty, you know, I, I, I look around my life and I see a lot of darkness. I see, I see troubles, I see pain, you know, I see natural disasters, I see war, I see violence, I see sickness and death, I see alienation and hostility, betrayal and abandonment. I see all these things where it's like, how could, how could my life have any meaning given the, the, the troubles in this world? You know, how could anybody's life have any meaning given all the heartache and trouble in the world? Because the darkness has affected us. It's, it's beaten us down, but it's also gotten inside of us. You know, we are not, we're not perfect reflectors of the light. You know, no one is gonna confuse me with the, the cosmic rational principle that governs the world. They're gonna say, Luke on a good day is not terrible, um, but you know, there are only so many good days that we don't reflect that light. The darkness has marred our, our, um, our ability to reflect the the goodness of the world that we, the darkness is around us, but it's also inside of us. And so we would say, well, okay, if there is this God, and if the world makes sense, if there's a purpose and a plan behind this world, I'd like to see it. And John goes on. He says, "Funny you should ask." He says. 
there was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him everybody would believe in the light. He himself wasn't the light, but his mission was to testify concerning the light. So he says, yes, God has already started this process, that, that, that John has already appeared in the scene. Maybe you've heard about him, John the Baptist, um, and, and his first century audience would have heard about John. Um, and they, he says, he says, he was, he was kind of the kickoff for this thing that God has, has done. So he testified. Now, no, he's not the light. Yes, John, John has been killed. The, the King Herod has killed John. He wasn't the light though. All his job was, was to warn everybody that the light was finally coming into the world. And that's John's message. The true light that shines on all people was coming into the world. And then he flashes forward. He goes from, it was coming to, the light was in the world. So just like that, he, he collapses down the entire uh, uh, life and death of, of Jesus to those two sentences. The light was coming and then the light was in the world. Well, what happened then? How come I haven't heard about it if the light came into the world? He says, well, the, the light, the world came into being through the light, but the world didn't recognize the light. The light came to his own people and his own people didn't welcome him. Even though there would have been an amazing, an amazing gift for them if they had. Those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become God's children. Born not from blood, nor from human desire, nor from passion, but born from God. So, Jesus came to, to bring light into a dark world. But why didn't, why didn't people recognize him? You know, why, why, if everybody's waiting for some light, if everybody's life has some degree of darkness in it, if everybody's personality has some darkness in it, why didn't they recognize him? Why didn't they recognize the light? Well, the reason is because the darkness has gotten into us. It's it's all around us and it's gotten into us. And so we can't look at the light. Several years ago, there was a, a transit of Venus across the, the sun. Uh, you know, the way the solar system works is the sun is is in the middle of the solar system and then there's planets around it. We're the third planet out. The second planet out is Venus. And once in a while, things line up just so and Venus actually passes in front of the sun. Between us and the sun, we can see Venus go across in front of us. And that happened several years ago and we went over to Bill and Joy's house because Bill had set up his his telescope and we were able to look at the, the transit of Venus. And I don't have good equipment um, my eyes saw it better than my camera did, but um, but looking through Bill's telescope, I could actually see uh, Venus um, uh, crossing the surface of the sun. But I could never do that, right? I couldn't just look up at the sun and see Venus. Um, uh, it's right at the edge of visibility for a human eye, but you you might be able to see it. Except, who could ever look at the sun and you know watch for Venus in, crossing in front of it? We are we're creatures of the outer planets, you know, we're, we're, we're in the darkness. We're not, we're not capable of staring at the sun. And there may be, here's a better picture. Somebody who had a, who had the right type of camera, um, they took this picture, um, uh, at NASA. So, um, so you can see that's Venus there flying by in front of the sun. Um, and yes, did, did Bill get a picture? Yeah.
Yes, you should never you should never look at the sun directly because it will hurt your eyes. That's that's the problem. And and as you grow up, you'll realize there are things. The sun may be beautiful, but we can't look at it ourselves. And that's really the problem that Jesus had. He was the light, but because people are kind of like us, that 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 we can't look at the sun. Uh, because it would hurt us. And in the same way, people couldn't look at Jesus. Uh, that way, they couldn't recognize Jesus when they saw it. And scientists tell us they've got all kinds of equipment that lets you look at the sun. And they'll tell us the sun is beautiful. There's all these amazing things going on there. But we can't see it. Even if even if we could see it, it would be bad for us. We, it would hurt us to, to look at it. So we can't do that. We can't look at the light. And this is the problem. We can't look at the light. The light was in the world. The light was there for us. But we don't recognize it, or we couldn't recognize it. And this is the problem that, that the people of God have always wrestled with. That, that I can't approach God because the darkness has gotten inside me. I, I've, I've grown up in the darkness and the darkness has actually affected who I am. It's not just those other people around me. I can't compare myself to the good, the light, because it's it's overpowering for me. Instead, what I you know, and you know this, right? What what we do is we compare ourselves to other people. We say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Well, you know, my life is is no no paragon, but you know, I could I could point you to some people who are you know real messes. Right? We we do that, right? We never you never hear somebody say, oh, you know, I'm you know point oh nine three percent of one half of a perfection. You know, nobody ever does that, right? We don't we don't compare ourselves to the light. We compare ourselves to other people who are poking around in the darkness. And this has been a long a, a long problem for the, the, the people of God had recognized. And um, they they even have um, a uh, uh, part of part of the Hebrew scriptures deal with this. Um, the the story of Moses um, uh, seeing God uh, and, and contextually, this is from Exodus 33. Um, some of you were here in the spring when we when we looked at the story of the Exodus, where God liberates the people um, from from uh, slavery in Egypt. And as they're going uh, to to Mount Sinai, um, Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the law from God. And uh, while he's up there, the people build some golden calves and they start worshiping this, this idol or these two idols. And God sends Moses back down and. Um, uh, Moses basically, you know, tells them stop doing that, and then and then the amazing thing is, you know, this, uh, he, he goes back up and starts asking more more favors from God. You know, usually if I'm caught red-handed doing something wrong, right, that's when I want to just kind of you know blend into the bushes. You know, I hope I hope no one sees me as I kind of fade into the scenery. Moses says this is a great time to ask God for some help. So he asks God, you know, hey, will you forgive us? Will you keep leading us through the desert to the promised land you offered to us? Um, will you give us a new copy of the law? And then and then you know God says sure I'll do that one after another. God God grants all of these requests even though you'd think that's that's when it's you're least likely to get a positive answer is when you've just you know. <laughs> offended the God who saved you by worshiping a false God. But, but it's an, it's an amazing story. But then Moses says, well, I'm, I'm on a roll here. I'll ask, I'll ask for something else. And Moses says, please show me your glorious presence. I want to look at God. You know, let me do that. And God says, ah, um, I'll tell you what. The Lord says, I'll make all my goodness pass in front of you and I'll proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I can do that because I will be kind to whomever I wish to be kind and I will have compassion 
to whomever I wish to be compassionate. Nothing you do, Moses, nothing those people down below will do can stop me from being kind or compassionate to the people I want to. That's just the kind of God I am. I can do that. But you ask something that's difficult. The Lord said, you can't see my face because no one can see me and live. No one can look at the sun. It's too bright. Nobody can do that. So God says to Moses, here is a place near me where you will stand beside the rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will set you in a gap in the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face won't be visible. He says, he says, I will let you get a glimpse of the back of my glory, right? And I don't know that glory has a front and a back, but he says, I'll let you see the back part of my glory. That's as close as you can get because if you look at my face, you will die. If you stare at the sun, you'll go blind. I can't let you look at my face, Moses, but I'll do everything short of that. And Moses is the greatest prophet in the Hebrew Scriptures. And and John's audience would have gone, that's our problem. Not even Moses could look at God. How can how can we see the light when it comes into the world? And John says, ah, here's how. The Word became flesh. The Word became one of us. And he lived among us. And unlike Moses, we have seen his glory. We got to do what not even Moses, not even Moses could see the glory of God, but we have seen his glory. Glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Jesus faithfully represents God. Jesus represents he presents God to us in a way that we can look at. We can look at Jesus and see what we could not see by staring at God. And John goes on talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, John the Baptist testified about him, crying out, this is the one whom I said, he, come, he who comes after me is greater than me because he existed before me. He says, John saw him too. The thing that not even Moses could do, we saw And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, so grace and truth came into being through Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? He means, remember, the the context of that story about Moses. Moses goes up in the mountain to get the law, right? Why why was he getting the law? Well, it's not, not because God wants people to behave a certain way on the earth. It's because the law is a picture of God. The God tell the, the law tells us about God. You can't look at God, but here, look at my law, and it will tell you about me. What does it say? It says it says don't don't commit uh, a murder. Don't don't uh, commit false uh, uh, testimony. You know, do the things that the law requires because that shows you what God is like. He says, God gave us the law to present, to represent Him. So that was that was a gift. God didn't owe us that, but He gave it to us anyway. He gave us this picture of Himself in the law. But grace and truth, a far better picture of God, a perfect representation of God, came into being through Jesus Christ. The law was was accurate as far as it went, but ultimately the law is the law. And it couldn't show us God the way Jesus did. Grace and truth came into being through Jesus Christ. 
So what does he mean by grace and truth? Well, like I said, these are the gifts we're talking about this week. What does he mean by grace and truth? Well, truth, truth is, is, you know, what, what do mean, we, you know, I'm about to quote Pontius Pilate. What is truth? Um, what is truth? Well, well, truth is, is the, the, the thing that happened. It, it has some idea of actuality. It's like, I, I, um, you know, how many fingers am I holding up? Right? You know, you, you don't know, right? They're concealed, but, but I was holding fingers up. It's just that we didn't know what they are. And the, 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 the biblical word for truth actually means that. It means to, to uncover or to disclose, to, um, to stop concealing the, because the truth is there, but we don't always know what it is. You know, if I ask you, did you clean your bedroom? You know, um, well, maybe you did and maybe you didn't. And if you're truthful, you will answer. And then I will know the actual facts about your bedroom. But if I don't know, I've got to go open the door myself. I've got to unconceal the truth, and then I know what the state of your bedroom is. So, so uh, that's the idea. The truth is the unconcealment of of what actually is. So, in Christmas terms, we might say it's that moment of unwrapping. The truth is when we actually see what the present is. Oh, this is what I was hoping for. This is so great. The truth is the unwrapping. We actually see it. I've been shaking this thing all month long. But I could never figure out what it is. And now I've unwrapped it. And now I know the truth. Now I know the light. Now I understand the word. So what is grace? Grace is a great word. It it means what you don't deserve. Right? That's Christmas presents, right? You don't deserve a Christmas present. Maybe you have some kind of mental calculation, you know, like Christmas cards, right? They didn't send us one last year, you know. So, so, you know, we, we might kind of be moderating our gift giving based on, you know, our past and experiences with different people. But ultimately, nobody owes you a gift. That, that if, if you get a gift, it's because you have a relationship with that person and they, they want to give you a gift. You, you're not owed a gift by anybody. That gifts are the thing you don't deserve. And that's really what makes them enjoyable. That, that's why we enjoy it. At that, that moment, you know, when, whether you're my family ripping open the gifts as quickly as we can, or Margot's family where we all, you know, golf clap each other as we get our gifts, you know, uh, it's that, it's that, it's that delight. It's like, I, I don't deserve this and yet here I have it. Nobody owed me this thing and now I've got it. It's that delight, that, that, you know, even even in in Margot's family, where we could say, "Oh, that's so good! It looks good on you," you know, or whatever it was. Um, we we had that moment of that that is a good thing. That's a grace. It's uh, you know, we still have echoes of this in our English words like um, gracious and graceful. That somebody has more than they deserve. That you know that that uh, 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 singer or that ballet star um, is graceful. They have more than they deserve. They they have more than the average person gets. The actual biblical word is related to charming and charisma. It's this thing that's delightful. He says, Jesus is filled with truth and grace. Jesus has both grace and truth. That we could actually see God finally. We understood who God was and what God was doing when we looked at Jesus. And what we saw delighted us. Jesus is filled with grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. But God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made God known. So, truth is unwrapping, and grace is delightful. And 
That's what I would encourage you to do with this. As you finish out your Christmas shopping and as you look forward to opening your Christmas gifts, whether they're Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, whether you've mailed them someplace because you're traveling, whenever you open them, think about that, that this is a perfect picture. You know, we, we, I think Christians sometimes come across as, you know, sourpusses, as, you know, Christmas is too commercial, you know, it's all about the presents. And, you know, we come across as kind of crabs about Christmas, but instead think about it as that delightful experience of unwrapping the present. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is unwrapping God and discovering that God is delightful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a world that has so much darkness in it, so much pain and sorrow, so much hostility. And we have not been immune. It has affected us. It has gotten into us. And as a result, we cannot see you. We cannot look at you and live. So we thank you for sending Jesus to reveal who you are. For showing that you are a God who delights to give his children gifts. Help us, Lord, during this season of gift-giving and commercialism to remember the greatest gift that you have given us, the gift of knowing you in Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.